Good evening. You are tuned in to another episode of Writer's Block on CGSW 90.9 FM. Writer's Block airs on the third Wednesday of the month from 8 to 8.30 p.m. If you ever miss our show live, you can check us out on cgsw.com. Writer's Block is also looking for volunteers, so send us a message at cgsw.writers at gmail.com. This episode of Writer's Block features interviews with Aveline Kemoka as well as Banu Jean. Coming up first is my interview with Aveline. Stay tuned! So good evening, everyone. You are tuned into CGSW on 90.9 FM. My name is Maddie Robinson, and tonight we are interviewing Mirabel on The Vanishing Act and The Miracle After. Uh, good evening, Mirabel. How are you? Hi, I'm doing great. How about you? I am doing lovely. Um, so to start off this interview, I was going to ask you if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe your background in literature and writing. Sure thing. Um, so my name is Aveline Kemoka, and I actually uh, use Mirabel as a little pen name uh, for my creative writing. I am based in Montreal. Uh, I moved here about seven years ago from Mumbai, India, where I was born and raised. Um, I came here to do a Bachelor of Arts in English Literature and Linguistics. And while I was studying, I ended up sort of delving into the community that we have here for poetry. Um, I ended up publishing a poetry chapbook um, called Dream Fragments. And that's kind of what led me here um, to write a full-length collection. Yeah, that's excellent. I'm always impressed by people that can publish a full-length collection because I find collections usually have a theme and whenever I write stories mm-hmm. of poetry, it's always all over the place. <laughs> mm-hmm. I um, hear so you. I'm always, yeah, I'm always impressed when like writers find their own kind of uh, thread that kind of runs through all their work. I think that's very cool. Um, speaking of that, I did want to ask you about your upcoming poetry collection. So the reason I reached out to you in particular is because this collection sparked my interest because I've always been interested interested in like the trope of like the vanishing woman or vanishing acts or magician acts, um, particularly mm-hmm. women that like vanish or disappear or like cease to exist. So tell tell me about the the vanishing act. Like, how do you feel about this topic, and kind of what inspired you to to title this collection and write write these pieces? I wrote the majority of this collection when I was going through what I would consider a personal, I don't know, crisis. Um, I didn't really know where I wanted to go. It's that fear of not feeling seen or important or that you have anything to contribute. Um, And so the first part um, of the collection, which is the one called The Vanishing Act, is kind of the title that I chose to explore poems that talked about that to some respect. Um, I actually took this name from a poem that's in my poetry chapbook. And I can, you know, the poem is called Problem of Evil. And just the line that it's from is, what gets to me about death is the vanishing act. It is to choose an ending. And it goes on. And so it was kind of as I was looking for a natural kind of segue into a full length that I I took inspiration from that. I, I think there are a lot of poems in this collection that look at vanishing as like as something that is very appealing. It's a form of escapism. And there is this urge to escape, to leave. Um, but there is also this dark knowledge that once you vanish, you will be forgotten. And so it's kind of this there's this tension in the book that I'm kind of trying to resolve. Yeah, that's very interesting because I know when I was studying English literature, like something that popped out to me is that women seem to vanish or kind of not exist in a lot of writing, even though they were, they were mm-hmm. still there. 
Um, mm-hmm. and, but it, but it's also interesting because a vanishing act is almost like, or or a magician act or disappearance is something that's almost performative as well. Like it's intentional, mm-hmm. right? So that's, it, it's a very mm-hmm. interesting idea to, to play around with, especially in the idea of death too. Um, and things, things like mm-hmm. this, especially because once people pass on often, it's only their work that's left, right? Which can always exactly. be interpreted. Yeah, of course. Um, so I wanted to follow up with that as well. So I noticed that when I was looking at your history that you you edited for the online journal Persephone's Daughters, which is uh, for listeners who don't know, a literary journal dedicated to the publishing of the work of like abuse victims and uh, survivors. And in previous interviews, you have noted that the work that you have done for Persephone's actually never felt like a chore. You found it quite interesting. And because vanishing does play in a lot with like women's writing, I wanted to kind of ask how the work in that journal or how your experience editing editing those pieces was reflected in this collection. Did it kind of influence your writing at all? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think the reason that I really enjoyed um, every sort of work that I've read at Persephone's Daughters is because it's a journal for um, victims of abuse and for survivors. And so every story that came to me meant something. And I knew how much it meant to the author, which was really powerful. And I, I feel like the reason I was even drawn to being part of a journal like that um, is just sort of generally my own life experiences that have made me want to capture what it means to be justifiably angry at the world. Um, and I think a, there's a lot of um, signals that we get as women to repress that justified anger. And I kind of explored that in um, my collection, Dream Fragments, uh, the chapbook that I wrote before this full length. I really thought that I had kind of wrapped up this part of my personality in this convenient chapbook, and then I would move on and not write bitter feminist kind of work. But surprisingly, I am still out there and I am still mad about things. And so there, there are a bunch of poems in this collection. Um, there is one about justice and it looks, it personifies justice as a woman and, and presents her as a woman that is forgotten in so many ways, but continues to have her own type of power. There was also a poem in this collection that talks about uh, the experience of going to therapy about something that gives a woman the right to be justifiably angry, but having to sit across from another woman, uh, the therapist, and try and piece together a sense of identity. So how do we be justifiably angry without just becoming shattered in pieces? So those are things that I definitely thought about. Yeah, for sure. I think I think anger is always interesting in women's writing because it usually comes through in a very indirect fashion which is why I think mm. poetry is such a unique way to kind of like combine those those topics. That, that is very interesting. I, and also, yeah, it's not surprising you write one chat book and you think you have it out of your system and you're like, but wait, there's more. No. I actually have more thoughts on this. <laughs> yeah, more stuff now that I've had time to process it. <laughs> Literally, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that kind of does lead to another follow-up question. Um, so without going into too much detail, I understand you, you do mention it has to do with processing anger, but I know that what I've read about this, mm-hmm. this collection is that it's also been said to to deal with a lot of processing grief and, and things like this. So mm-hmm. my, my follow-up question was going to be, because I know like anger is almost the first stage of grief, although I don't mm-hmm. I don't think it's that linear, but you often see it depicted mm-hmm. that way in that annoying little bell curve, which I can exactly. never yeah. get through all the way. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you about poetry and writing and things like this. Like, how does your, your writing kind of reflect the process of healing and, and recovery? I, I understand that this this collection has almost like two different sections, like the vanishing exactly. and the miracle after. Did you want to expand mm-hmm. on that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think 
I don't think I would be writing if I could process feelings without writing. Um, so I think that writing just as an act for me as a human being comes from wanting to process things. Um, a lot of this collection was inspired by what I really wanted from writing this collection was no matter what kind of grief somebody is going through, um, there are certain common themes that come up because grief ultimately is like a hit to your self identity. Um, so what I really wanted um, as the ideal, what I hope this book can be is an accurate representation of what being in the depths of grief feels like. And then the second part, which hopefully reflects both a desire to heal, but also just how much of a drag it is, how hard it is, and how it is not linear. Um, and so it's a little bit, it's a little bit of a trick to have two parts as if there is the before the healing and after the healing in this collection. But it is really, I think the turning point in the collection is the desire to know that you want better for yourself. Um, and so that's kind of what inspired a lot of this uh, collection. Yeah, I feel like a big part of, of navigating the grief is, I mean, you bring up an excellent point that it's almost like whenever you grieve something else, it always reflects a part of you inside that kind of dies, mm -hmm. I think. It's never mm -hmm. just grieving something external. There's always like an internal process there. Yeah, and I know I know what you mean. I don't think it is as linear as those like annoying little graphs show. <laughs> mm -hmm. This is not my experience at all. I did want to ask though as well. So so I understand that this this collection references miracles as well and the idea of like miraculous intervention and things. And I, I wanted to kind of ask about that as well when it comes to healing and you know wanting to heal. Like that's a big part is actually feeling the motivation uh, for for that. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been thinking about miracles a lot actually lately and like I don't know how to really define one um, mm -hmm. <laughs> so did you mm -hmm. want to, to speak on that topic at all I thought that was very interesting yeah I mean I I think part of why I I wanted to incorporate the idea of magic or miracles in my collection is because I've just generally as a writer always been curious about the idea of God um, I am strongly atheist but it's like, I'm an atheist that wishes I had a faith. You know, it's like I've tried to believe in something bigger than myself. And I've personally never been able to find find that God or find that leap of faith. Um, and so, I, but, but the idea of belonging to something bigger than yourself and being able to almost speak to something bigger than yourself is such an appealing or like attractive idea. Um, and so I kind of wanted to address that through the idea of miracles. I think the main lesson is that I, I don't even want to call it a lesson because it's, it's not quite, it's more, it's the idea of having hope just sort of like in the corner of your eye. It's just kind of there and it's lingering. And sometimes that's kind of all it takes. So I think the idea of mir a miracle as like an instantaneous kind of moment that cures it all. Um, that's really not the way I wanted to represent the miracle. And I wanted the miracle to be this kind of blurry background that slowly begins to take shape. Interesting. It's almost like it's undefined until you you sort of define it yourself. I find mm -hmm. I find if you ever have something nearly miraculous or that feels miraculous that happens, you almost have to like work towards it without realizing what it is. Like you know it's exactly. you know what I mean? like it's like, yeah, like you say corner of your eye, you like you know it's there. It's like some sort of hope that you have, but you can't define it exactly. It's almost like putting a label or defining it kills it. You know, it's yeah. almost like if you try to logically convince yourself to believe in God or spirit or whatever, it just doesn't add up. But the idea is it's so appealing. And so you want to, I wanted to really play with that. 
Yeah. yeah, for sure. This is this is very interesting. Um, a little side note: I read a book called The Age of Miracles uh, last last mm-hmm. year, and it's an it's an old book. It was like a New York Times bestseller. Someone left it for me on on a table just randomly, so I was like, "Ooh, it's a sign mm. for me." Um, and it was it was interesting because <laughs> the the implication was almost kind of like it's like the the little things that you take for granted. You know what I mean? Like it's things you don't expect that that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought I I thought I'd ask about that. That's a great answer. Would you like to read uh, any poetry from the collection? Sure. Um, I have two poems that I thought would be interesting to play with. So the first one, it's, it's from the first act, so the banishing act. It's called What the Living Do. The old aren't afraid of death. They are afraid of what the fear of death makes the living do. Unwrap the bones, cut off the fat. Slice pineapples and down cranberry juice. Feed the cat raw food. Unload the dishwasher. Play the news, sober, unmute. Wait to cross the street like you have somewhere to be. Move closer to the beach. Forgive him when he cheats. Consider stand-up, but never make the mistake of getting up on stage. Smell the lipstick that you put on only for yourself. Be late to work again. Spill coffee just for the thrill. Make your heart fall till it's ill. Then gather the pieces in their own time. When your mom calls, listen. When you see her, make up a God. If only so, the prayers have somewhere to go. Go, paleo. Let the dishes soak. Set the alarm to repeat. Crawl into bed on your knees. Like a body infected with warmth. Nestle in between grief and relief and try to catch some sleep. So that was the first poem. So the next poem I'm going to read is called Free Fall. It's from the second act of the collection. So from the miracle after. And it's inspired by a poem by the same name by a poet called Mark Nepo. This was first published in Carte Blanche, which is Quebec Writers Federation's magazine. Freefall. Your dreams are costlier than you think. But I am not in the business of going home anymore. Hot, more thunderclap than mud. Don't you tell me it was not shockingly warm how mouths carried your name across mahogany rooms. Sometimes the corpse is only quotidien. It falls onto a floor of empty mouths. And the truth sounds not like chatter, but like swallow. Myself catches me here. A life saved is a life denied. Sometimes two hands hold together a face and the day can burst 
into sun-streaked flames. Rob your doubts. It's time they pay up. That was wonderful. Thank you. Um, I was listening and it's interesting because I was trying to see if I'd be able to guess which poem came from which section. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I feel like mm -hmm. you'd be able to maybe a little bit just by the tone, but I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. And you, you said that was in a carte blanche? Yeah. Yeah, I like that magazine. I, 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 keep, I, I, I love keep them. I the, the different literary magazines. Yeah, that's lovely. That's lovely. Before we wrap up, I've gotten into mm -hmm. writing poetry. I've published a few poems here and there. I don't know if you have any like advice for, for like poets that are trying to get published or like, do you have any specific takes on poetry that you like to air? Like, do you have any, uh, like, opinions, <laughs> I guess, I don't know. It just sort of popped into my head. So. Yeah. I don't have a particular like uh, propaganda, like particular propaganda to spread in regards to poetry other than like, please read it. We oh my need... gosh. Po poetic propaganda. Someone needs to make like a poster, like read poetry, <laughs> read poetry. That's, oh that's just me, but it's me like begging you before you go to bed, you know, like that's <laughs> all I want. Please, somebody buy the book. Uh, just kidding. Um, I think I think um, the main thing that really helped me solidify myself as a writer was connecting to poets in my community. So in my local areas, going to open mics, going to events that are near me, reading poets that are based in where I live. So Montreal for me. You know, it's really funny because I... Like I said, I, I spent my first 17 years of life in India. Um, and while there is a writing community, poetry particularly is not as popular. And I felt myself really starved for connection. So it was almost like it was so common for me to read works by people whose names like I couldn't pronounce or I, I would never have met anyone with that name. But it was when I moved to Montreal and I was sort of, I just ended up settling in a place that had such a vibrant community. And now almost feels strange for me to buy a book when I don't know the person who, who wrote it, because that's how deeply I feel connected in uh, the po poetry scene here. And so many opportunities have come to me because I've fostered genuine connections with the people that are around me. Um, I think it's also just given me a huge bunch of inspiration and motivation. So just, you know, those two things are really important if you're starting out as a writer. So I would really say find... Who reads poetry near you and go be friends with them? That's great advice. Yeah, I, I wrote something recently. And before I I, uh, I got it published, like I, I read it to like a group of other like writers. And that was actually mm -hmm. very useful because someone he like, there was mm. one guy in the group that's like, this line is kind of cliche. And I was like looking and I was like, oh my God, he's totally right. I wouldn't have noticed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's very yeah. helpful to have someone. So yeah, I totally agree with that. I um I moved recently to Canmore. So I'm already seeking out, like, like if I see someone holding a book, I like make a beeline and I'm like, I'm near right. town. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Just stare at them a little bit. I'm like, let's be friends. And one of my coworkers, because like I work in a cafe, my coworker approached me and was like, I think you scared that customer off. I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, I just wanted to ask, like. <laughs> right. You just want to be friends. Doing? Yeah, I was like, yeah. I was like, he's tall, long hair, read poetry, must be friends, you know, like, it's like, <laughs> basic instinct, I think. Um, <laughs> um, okay, well, thank you so much for answering a couple of our, our questions that we had. Um, and thank you for your time as well. Was there anything else that you wanted to mention to the listeners of CGSW? I guess the, the one thing I would say is, um, this book is now available for pre-order, if you're listening not exactly sure when this would go out. So if you're listening to this before June 1st, um, it's available for pre-order pretty much anywhere uh, where you would buy books. So 
Amazon, Indigo, local uh, booksellers in your region. Um, well, thank you so much for your time and thank you for coming on. And I totally look forward to buying the collection when it hits these shelves. For those who just tuned in, you are listening to Writer's Block on CGSW 90.9 FM. That was my interview with Evelyn Kemoka. Coming up next is our interview with Banu Jean. Stay tuned. And they lived happily ever after on CJSW. Hi, my name is Jenny Kwong for Writer's Block on CJSW Radio on 90.9 FM. Today, I'm speaking with poet Banu Jan, who is a writer in residence from the University of Alberta. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And so I guess talk to me about the residency you've had so far this year at uh, UFA. It's been great. Uh, it's been uh, a great opportunity to uh, to meet uh, writers from a community uh, from a different part of Canada that I haven't been to before. So I managed to connect with uh, different writing groups and be inspired by them. And I also continued some of my organizing uh, poetry uh, events here. And uh, I also ran a writer's uh, circle here. So uh, the writing circle uh, worked as a, a drop, drop-in session so people could join, work on their own writing, whatever projects they have in whatever language or genre, no limitations. Uh, so was the case with the poetry open mic, Shabeshir poetry open mic. Um, we have no limitations about language, about genre, about subject matter. The only limitation is the time limit and that's five minutes. And I guess tell me about uh, forming your own poetry group, I guess. Well, I started um, forming the poetry group in the second year after I landed in Canada in 2012. And uh, it's been growing and it's been a very rewarding experience uh, bringing different communities together because very soon I discovered that communities are very isolated from one another. People who have been in different communities um, in Toronto did not know anything about each other. They, they did not explore each other's spaces. So uh, I created Shabashir with the specific intent of making it very diverse, but also based on uh, freedom of speech means no limitations to uh, content. Uh, we believe that the answer to a poem is another poem, but you also have to listen to other people with sympathy and try to understand them. This makes you a better writer because uh, you will have different uh, people in mind when you are writing. And also you will be more welcoming to the other communities that have always been marginalized. So that has been going on. And so when I moved here, I continued the open mic here. Uh, what are the areas uh, in poetry that you are interested in exploring? And how has that changed over the years that you've been a poet? Well, I started at the age of 10. That was a very long time ago. As I grew older, of course, you know, I became aware of um, a lot of um, social justice issues like feminism, women's rights, you know, minority rights, um, uh, let's say civil rights, blacks and uh, Indigenous people later on when I moved to Canada and many other groups that have always been uh, been marginalized and also coming from, um, uh, you know, uh, from Iran, which is a totalitarian theocracy. I'm also very much aware of um, dictatorship and how poetry can be used to to challenge um, dictatorships and the limitations on individual freedom and dignity. So I think I have become over the years more politically uh, outspoken in my poetry, as well as, you know, um, 
including perspectives of different groups, not in the sense of, you know, speaking for them, but in the sense of kind of paying respect to them and showing sympathy to them. So that has been going on. I, I guess I have grown a lot. Uh, I uh, follow uh, the news, mostly uh, the follow the international news and also particularly the news uh, coming from uh, my country, uh, which is going na- uh, on, um, which is undergoing actually a, a revolution or a protest now, Woman Life Freedom, in uh, where women are uh, demanding uh, the freedom to choose the, uh, the way they dress. And so this um, has been met with um, incredible violence from the state. And more than 500 people have died and uh, more than 2000 people have been arrested. And also as a result of this, actually, I have uh, started another project. And that is the an anthology that's going to be published by Guernica Editions, uh, a, a small publisher in Canada. Uh, so uh, I have a co-editor and uh, they have opened this submission to international submissions and the deadline for this submission is next year, March 2024. Uh, We are accepting poems in English or translated into English coming from everywhere in the world. So please spread the word. Also, we are looking for uh, sponsors because uh, Guernica Editions, by opening this up to international submissions, will lose Canadian rights and grants that they would get from uh, granting bodies. So we're looking for that as well. If there there's any organizations out there or people who would like to donate, the link to donations is also announced on the publisher's website. I guess there are concerns when addressing sensitive uh, political issues. And how do you address that? And uh, how do you ma- maintain safety when trying to address political issues? I think I, I believe in um, art that um, addresses important issues. And I believe that it's a, uh, an artist's commitment and responsibility to uh, try in their own position as an artist to challenge um, the people in power. Because the people in power, the dictators, usually get away with uh, not uh, being challenged. So that's one thing that uh, we need to do. And it's a mistake to think that by staying silent, you will be safe because actually, eventually, the dictators and the power mongers will come after you and will rob you of your individual freedoms. The only way is to stand up for your rights. So the only way is to speak up. As Audre Lorde said, your silence will not protect you. But that's the challenge of stepping up, I guess, when you need to say something. Yes, of course, in my part of the world, writers go to jail, they get arrested, they get tortured, and uh, sometimes even they get killed. But here in the West, at least there is a a degree of freedom. And I hope uh, artists and writers in the West use the privileged position that they have to support meaningful uh, movements for rights and democracy and humanity across the world. Did you prepare uh, a poem to share with us today? Absolutely. I have a poem that actually speaks up probably to the uh, title of your program. It's called There is a Voice. There's a voice that sings your song, opens your veins to blood. There's a voice who is not you, invites you to the allegory of the cave. There's a voice in whose tales you are a myth, shatters your pettiness and makes you whole. There's a voice that claims you, abyss and wings and all. There's a voice that is yours when you cross your borders. There's a voice. Take yourself out of its way. Let it sing through you. Let it make you a song. 
there's a voice. What plans do you have after your residency is over at U of A?、Uh, you mentioned the poetry project with Gernika, and are there other projects that you have in mind? Yes, I have submitted my poetry manuscript during my residency. I hope the publisher accepts it, and I I'm also planning to restart the the poetry and open mic back again when I go back to Toronto. It depends on if we get a space we can afford because now every place is much more expensive. But if we can get a space, a good space, we would love to start that as well. Okay,、uh, thank you very much,、uh, Banu Jan, for your time today, and hopefully we'll get to、uh, hear more of your poetry down in the future. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, this is Jenny Kwong for Writer's Block. That was my conversation with poet Banu Jan. The writer in residence at the University of Alberta, she was in Calgary in April for an exchange with the Calgary Distinguished Writers Program at the University of Calgary, where Leah Horlick is the writer in residence this year in 2023. For those who just tuned in, you have been listening to an episode of Writer's Block. Writer's Block airs on the third Wednesday of the month from 8 to 8:30 p.m. If you missed this full episode live, you can check it out on cjsw.com. This episode featured interviews with Avline Kemoka as well as Banu Jan. If you've been listening for this whole half an hour, thank you, and we'll see you again next month.